Families are the most complex, frustrating, life-giving relationships in our life. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about families because God says that they are worth fighting for. Well, welcome to Crossing. So good to see you back after Easter. We had a fantastic Easter weekend. As uh, you saw in the video, we had over 8,900 people here throughout our six services. It was just amazing. Give you a little context for that. That is about 900 more people than we had for Easter last year. But the greatest number of all is we had 231 baptisms. And that right there, just life story after life story. We had people from every age and background. We had entire families together in the pool being baptized together. We had one guy who was watching online at home. And when I challenged for anybody who is making a decision to surrender their life to Jesus to stand up, he stood up at home and drove to the campus and was baptized. So it is a great story, many, many of those. Well, I want to thank you for inviting your friends, for changing services, for making room, and for the hundreds and hundreds of volunteers. There are no words for my gratitude for you of all that you did to serve the thousands of people who are coming to hear about the message of Jesus. Well, today we're, in, we're starting this series called Fight. And you might wonder, okay, now why would you name a family series Fight? It is because great families do not happen by accident. If you want a great family, you have to fight for it. You have to fight for your marriage. You have to fight for your kids. You have some personal battles that you will have to fight for. Back in the Old Testament, when the people of Israel, when, when Jerusalem was being attacked, Nehemiah said to the children of Israel in Nehemiah chapter 4, he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes, because your family is worth fighting for. And I don't know where you are in your family, but here's what I know is you have a family. And it is not too late to fight to make your family better. Here's what makes this series so challenging. That whenever we talk about these things, our families are so diverse. Some of you are from blended families or traditional families, second marriages, third marriages, single, single with kids. You're raising someone else's kids. And this topic is so challenging, but it is so relevant for every one of us in this room. So I was trying to figure out this week, what do we all have in common? What do we all have in common? And I could only come up with two things that all of us have in common. Here's number one, is you didn't get to pick your family. You, you can pick your friends, but you didn't get to pick your family. It isn't true that when you were in middle school, you would have picked your friend's family because at their family, you know, you wanted to live with them because they didn't have any rules. They ate cereal at dinner. You know, they didn't have a curfew. It just seemed like their family was better. Well, here's the second thing is that your family was dysfunctional. Every single one of us, every person here comes from a dysfunctional family. I could share with you for hours how dysfunctional my family was growing up. And I wish I could just give you five quick and easy steps to have a perfect family that if you do these things, your kids will never yell at you in public. You know, they'll accept your friend request on Facebook. <laughs> but it's just not that easy. And I've raised my own family, and there are so many times where I just found myself thinking to myself, I should know how to respond in this situation. I should know what I'm supposed to do, and I just don't. 
And I think what also makes a setting like this very difficult is you might assume that the Bible is just full of perfect families. But it's just the opposite. There is almost no good examples of families in the Bible. That if you, if you think about it, Adam chose Eve over God. The first recorded homicide was between two brothers. Noah, the most, most righteous man of his generation, gets drunk and curses his own grandson. Abraham plays favorites between his sons, Isaac and Ishmael, and they're estranged. Rebecca schemed with her son to deceive her husband, Isaac. Jacob plays favorites between Joseph and his 11 other sons. And his brothers, they want to kill Joseph, but instead of killing him, they sell him into slavery. David had an affair, and his son started a rebellion against him. Eli, who was the priest, lost control of his sons until God took them out. And you might say, well, what about Mary and Joseph? Well, you remember when Jesus was 12 years old? And they're looking around going, have you seen Jesus? No. Have you seen Jesus? I have not seen him. They left him at the temple for three days until they discovered he was not with them. I mean, today they would have been reported to child services. This is not necessarily the greatest of parenting. See, we may be imperfect people, but we serve a gracious God who wants to be involved in our lives and he wants to be involved in our families. And God gives incredible wisdom when it comes to families. And over these next few weeks, we're going to share six principles to help you in the fight. We're going to talk about conflict. What do you do about conflict in your family? We're going to talk specifically to men in a few weeks, and we're going to speak, speak specifically to women in a few weeks. We're going to talk to parents. We're going to talk to couples. We will we'll address some single issues. We're going to be looking at all of these relationships because everybody here that you are a part of a family of some sort. Well, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 3 because today we're going to look at the foundational principle. This is the foundational principle that will help us as we launch into these next few weeks. And I want to give you a little bit of background with Colossians chapter 3. I want you to understand what is happening in this culture because in this culture, women and children had no status. They had no voice. In the first century, women were viewed as a commodity. They were viewed as just one step above slaves. Children were not cherished. They were not even given names until they were older because nearly half of all children didn't make it. So when, when Jesus says, bring the children to me, this was revolutionary because nobody had ever heard of cherishing children before. It was in this culture that Jesus says that in the kingdom of God, that the highest value is love. That love is the highest value in God's kingdom. And he says, let me tell you how to do this. He goes, I want you to love the way that I have loved you. Well, the apostle Paul comes along. And he takes the teachings of Jesus and he applies them to the family. That this had never been done before. And the apostle Paul gives specific teachings to husbands, to wives, to kids, to parents, and Paul is going to tell us two things. And since we're using this, this series, we're calling it Fight, here are these two things we're going to talk about. Number one, it's the rules of engagement in the fight. Okay, so we're going to talk about the rules of engagement. Paul's going to talk about that in Colossians chapter, chapter 3. 
And the second is Paul is going to give us some fighting words, how to fight for our families. And so we'll look at those two things. Well, in Colossians chapter 3, we're going to start off with these rules of engagement, starting in verse 18. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Now, whenever I read these verses, there is major pushback from people because they hear that and they go, well, that is so old-fashioned and you don't know my husband. Submit has been given such a bad name. Well, here's the idea. Here's the idea is that, that a husband will lead his family in such a way that for him, he will say that we are going to follow Christ in our family. And then the wife comes along and she says, I agree with that. I want to be involved in that mission. And this is where submission, this is the idea, is that I'm going to be involved in the mission that you have laid out there. And Paul says that you submit as is fitting to the Lord. See, it's easy for us to love God. It's easy for us to submit to God. And Paul says, wives, I want you to take all of that commitment that you have for God all of that gratitude to God, and you apply that to your marriage. Now, every now and then I'll have guys who will come into my office. Sometimes they'll come in by themselves, or sometimes they'll come in with their wives, and they'll say, now, doesn't the Bible say wives submit to your husbands? And I would say, well, let's look that up. Can you tell me what the first word in that verse is? And they'll say, wives. Exactly. This verse is not written to husbands. This is written to wives. Ladies, I have your back here because Paul is going to direct these next words to husbands. And here's what he says in verse 19. He says, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. See, we don't understand how revolutionary this was when he says, do not be harsh with them because women were considered property. In this culture, they didn't even get to choose their wife. It was chosen for them. You know, at some point, they would say, oh, by the way, she's the one you're going to marry in six years. He might say, could I just stay single? Because I'm not real sure that's the one that I want. So you could see why they would be harsh with their wives. In this culture, women were treated like they would treat livestock or camels. And the Apostle Paul comes along. And Paul says, that may have been the way that it used to be, but not anymore. That if you are a follower of Jesus, you are to love your wife. You're to love your wife. And Paul says, I'm going to give you an example of what that looks like. He says, think of the, the greatest act of love in human history. It's Jesus dying on the cross. He says, now apply that to your marriage. That's the way you're to love your wives. Well, Paul is not done yet. He's going to address kids. He says in verse 20, he says, Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. That at the, at the very basic, right here, do you want to know how to please the Lord? You obey your parents. In the Ten Commandments where it talks about obeying your parents, it says, So that it may go well with you that there is this correlation between obeying your parents and the life that you have, that you, the, the Ten Commandments says that you will live a long life, that it may go well with you. Now, I understand that there are some, there are some students in here, there's some teenagers in here, and you go, you don't know my parents. You don't know what it's like to be in my house. You don't know the things that are said in my house. Well, Paul's not done yet, and he goes on. Here's what he says in verse 21. He says, fathers, 
Do not embitter your children, or they will become discouraged. The way the Apostle Paul will write this in the book of Ephesians, where there's a very similar passage, he says, do not exasperate your children. To embitter means that sometimes you say things to your kids. Maybe you're trying to discipline them or to teach them. Sometimes just to be funny without even meaning to, you can crush them and discourage them. And sometimes you'll just argue, well, I'm just speaking the truth. You know, this is just what they need to hear. This is the, this is the real world out there. But what you do is you place a weight on them that causes extraordinary discouragement. Moms, your words weigh about 25 pounds. That when you say something to your kids, your words weigh about 25 pounds. Dads, your words weigh about 500 pounds. That men can say the same thing as a woman says, and it feels completely different. And 2,000 years ago, the Apostle Paul knew that. And while this principle, while this principle applies to moms and to dads, it's not addressed to moms and to dads. It's addressed to fathers. It's addressed to dads. When I was a kid, my mom yelled at me many times. I don't remember hardly any of those times. I was listening some of the time. But there's some things that my dad said to me that still today, I can repeat them word for word because it just carries more weight. And as a dad, I mean, there are so many things that I wish I could take back. There are moments that have just been etched in my memory that's like, I wish I could take that back. And in many of the cases, the words that I was speaking, they were true. But the way that I said it, it absolutely crushed the spirit of my children. And Paul says, in summary, Paul says, this is what it looks like. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives and don't be harsh. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, do not make your kids bitter. Well, now that we got that out of the way, let's just pray and go home. <laughs> See, I know what you're thinking. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're like, this is exactly what I expect you to say in church. Because this is so idealistic, but it doesn't work like this in my family. You don't know my husband. You don't know what it's like to live with him. You don't know my wife. You don't know my parents. But God never gives us the ideal without telling us how to get there. In fact, Paul gives us a principle to make this happen. That there is a similar passage in the book of Ephesians that's actually longer where he's going to give us a principle that will absolutely tell us how we do this, how we put this into practice. But to understand this verse that you have to understand that the change that Jesus brought about. Because when Jesus came along, he came into this culture. This was a culture that whoever had power, they used their power for their advantage to get what they wanted. And Jesus comes along and he says, if you have power, you use your power for the powerless. If you have authority, you use your authority for someone who has no authority. If you have resources... You use your resources for, for those who don't have any. And Paul is going to give us an umbrella principle here that begins to put all of these things into order. He says, let me tell you exactly what this looks like. In the book of Ephesians, he's going to address the husbands and wives, parents and children, but he starts off with this principle 
that becomes the, the foundation for everything he's going to say. Ephesians 5.21. He says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He introduces this idea, this principle of mutual submission. That everyone is to submit to the others in your family. And then he applies it. He says, this is what submission to one another looks like. Wives, you submit to your husbands. Husbands, you love your wives. Children, you obey your parents. Fathers, don't make your children bitter. This is how that looks. See, here is the, here is the big principle for week one. Here's this, this fighting principle for week one is that great families practice mutual submission. The great families practice mutual submission. This principle is so powerful that it has the potential to change your family dynamic. Listen, this is the way that God designed it to be. If you want to have a Christian marriage and a Christian family, this is how God designed it to be. See, some of you approach submission like a UFC fight. In a UFC fight, when you put one in a submission hold... You put them in a hold until they are in so much pain they finally tap out. This is what some of you, it's the way you view submission, is that you put the people in your life in so much pain that they finally tap out. That's not biblical submission. That is not what the Bible says about submission. It is just the opposite. Biblical submission is when I use my power to serve you. When I use my power For your benefit. This is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus leveraged his power and his time and his authority for you. Mutual submission says that I am here for you. As I was studying for this message this week, I came across a question that I think is the question to help us put this into practice. That this is the question that if you will use this, this will help begin to reshape the relationships in your family. And since we're calling this series Fight, I'm just calling these our fighting words for today. This is our fighting words. And here it is. What can I do to help you? This is it. This right here is how you begin to put this principle of mutual submission into your life. What can I do to help you? Let's say this out loud together. What can I do to help you? That if everybody in your family will begin to ask this question, it will change your family. For some of you teenagers, you're in middle school or high school, okay, you cannot ask this question today, okay, because it just will be too soon, but over the next few weeks, when the time is right, you go to your parents and you say, what can I do to help you? And let me tell you what's going to happen. Your parents are going to be so floored that you ask this, that they will have nothing in response, and so you're going to get credit for asking this question. You're not going to have to do anything. It's going to be great. If you really want to impress them. Then you ask this question in front of their friends. When their friends are abused, you just go, I just want to know what I can do to help you. Because then their friends are going to go, teach me how to be a parent. You know, this will score you big points. Now, parents, depending on what stage of parenting you're in, every stage, every stage has, has difficult moments and joyful moments. But many times in parenting, things can go negative really quickly. And I want to challenge you as a parent, because your kids have specific needs in this specific season that they're in, that if you will just say, is there anything I can do to help you, it changes the conversation. It changes the conversation from yelling and negative to something totally different. Ladies, when you ask this question of your husband's 
or to your boyfriends, what it is saying to them, it is saying that I am aware that you carry a burden. I am aware of the responsibility that weighs you down. Is there anything I can do to leverage my time for you? Now, guys, this question scares you to death, doesn't it? Because here's what you're thinking. You're like, well, my fear is that if I ask this, they will never stop asking for my help. But here's why this is so important. Because oftentimes, oftentimes what happens is, is our wives are afraid to ask us this question because they sense resistance every time they do. Every time they ask for our help, they can see it in our face that we begin to resist. And when you ask this question, it opens up the door to show love to your wife. That this question is the bridge to mutual submission. What can I do to help you? Now, there are some fears that we have. All of us have some fears that we begin. It's our big pushback. See, here's one of our fears. Our fears is, is they're going to take advantage of me. If I ask this question, they're going to take advantage of me. Students, when I, when I said this to you, what you begin to say is you go, if I do this, there's going to be more chores that I'm going to have to do around the house. It is never going to end. Some of you parents were thinking, okay, if I ask my kids, what can I do to help you? My kids are going to say, number one, I want a new iPhone. Number two, no curfew. I mean, let's just get this all worked out. Because there is this fear that they're going to take advantage of us. I think there's another fear is that no one is going to do this but me. That no one is going to do this but me. I'm going to be the only one asking this. And I'm going to put myself out there. And I'm going to look stupid. Because nobody else is going to do this. I think there's a third fear. The third fear is that no one's going to be an authority. That we're all just going to sit around and go, you first. No, you first. Where do you want to go to eat? Well, wherever you want to eat. No, you go. Wherever you want to eat. And you're thinking, well, no one's going to be in charge. This principle here has nothing to do with authority. God has given us a biblical flowchart of authority in the family. This has nothing to do with authority. And who is an authority? This has to do with what you do with your authority. Is that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve you because we are taking our cues from Jesus. See, that's why this, this scripture where it says submit to one another, that's why the second part of the scripture is so key for us because it gives us the context of submission. It gives us the context. But here's how we oftentimes approach this verse. We approach this verse by saying submit to one another as long as they meet my needs. We wouldn't say this out loud, but this is kind of how we feel. Because we're constantly evaluating other people. Well, I'll meet your needs as long as you meet my needs. And we begin to think of our families like a consumer. What can I get out of my family? Let me just be very clear. There is no person who will ever meet all your needs. Only God was designed to do that. And if you are trying to have all of your needs met in a person, you will always fall short and they will always fall short of your expectations. Because only God was meant to do that. Well, here's sometimes how we read this verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for each other. I mean, this sounds spiritual, doesn't it? I mean, we can kind of imagine this where God comes to me and says, Shane, I want you and Darla to submit to each other out of reverence for each other. To submit to one another out of reverence for each other. Here's the problem with that. 
is there are certain times where that works in my relationship with my wife, and there are certain times where we don't show very much reverence for each other. Maybe not in your home. Okay, I know this doesn't happen in your home. Every now and then, this has happened in my home. And God says, that's not the basis to make this work. Because sometimes we only do certain things if somebody deserves it, if we feel like they deserve it. Here's what the scripture says. The scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In light of what Christ has done for you, that's the measurement that you use. See, this is such a powerful concept right here. It would be like if I were having a conversation with God, and I said, God, I am so grateful for what you've done for me. You have forgiven my sins. You have changed my life. You've changed the direction of my life. What can I do for you to show my gratitude to you? And God says, Shane, here's what I want you to do. I want you to take all of that gratitude, and I want you to show that to your family. Okay, God, maybe you misunderstood me because this is between you and me. I mean, what can I do for you because of what you have done for me? That debt that you owe me, that debt that you owe me because Jesus died on the cross, I want you to apply that debt to your wife, to your husband, to your kids. Well, God, couldn't I just give like 11%? I mean, I'll go on a mission trip this year. Because here's what it says. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. See, when you put that as the context of what you do, as the foundation of how you're going to build your family, it begins to change everything. So here's your homework for this week. Here's your homework is to ask this question, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? And just listen. No qualifiers. You just listen. And if you will do this, the temperature and the tension in your home will begin to change. The way that you view your family will begin to change. Some of you are in difficult situations that you're not sure if your marriage is going to make it. Some of you are in difficult parenting situations. There's shared custody and there's animosity, and you don't know quite what to do with that. Some of you are in blended families right now, and it is not going well. There's these two sides in your home. And the way you begin to break that down is to say, what can I do to help you? What can I do to help you? Now, some of you guys, you're going to have to practice this in the mirror because you're going to have a hard time with this. Maybe you need to put this in your own words because it just feels too awkward to, you know, for you tomorrow morning to say exactly what I said. So maybe you just need to put it in your own words. How can I serve you? What can I do? What do you need today? But here's what I know. When you want to ask this the least, you need to ask it the most. Some of you, your biggest pushback is it's not going to work. When you want to ask this question the least, it's when you need to ask it. So I want to pray with you. I want us to pray together. And here's what I want you to begin to pray. is for you to begin to say, God, give me the courage to ask this question. Because you probably already know Who in your life needs this the most? God, give me the courage. God, help me to be able to humble myself in such a way that I take on the spirit of Jesus.